Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Winter Park. Good morning, Central Florida. Good morning, Eatonville. This is Barbara Chandler, and you are listening to Our Seat, Our Table Leadership Lounge. I am so proud to announce this is our ninth episode. Do you hear that? Our ninth episode of Our Seat, Our Table. We want to thank our listening audience for joining us each and every week. We want to thank our immediate community as well as the surrounding communities. We want to thank our current and past guests who have joined us and have shared the history. We have had uh, historians from Deland. We've had historians from Sarasota. And we have so many more communities that we're going to be hearing from the historians. As you all know, our seat, our table, it consists of community history. We realize that knowing, knowing our local history is very important to us. We also know that having and knowing grassroots organizations and the difference that they make in the community with the programming is very important to how we build community. We call those our uh, community ambassadors, our community leaders who have come up with innovative and creative programming, sometimes um, with, with little resources in which to continue to move our community along. Our seat, our table consists of the business spotlight, and that is with LaVonda Wilder, who's with the Eatonville Chamber of Commerce. And then we also have our artist spotlight, that is with Andrew Brown. Andrew Brown, as we all know him, is a lot of many things. He is with Brown Box Creative Solutions. And of course, in every community, every session, we always like to give you a call to action. And that is the platform of Our Seat, Our Table. We are highlighting the leaders, the community builders, the ambassadors in all of our communities locally. A lot of times it is not as though, it, I think all of us have our roles in which to play. And I always, always say there is no big I's and little U's. We all have an important role to play. So this morning, I'm going to get right into the show. One of my favorite favorite cultural partners, cultural museums. They are joining us here today. I remember the first time that I went out to visit them and it is one of the sweetest museums. I feel the spirit of Mary Harrell. Mary Harrell Black Heritage Museum is in New Smyrna. And I have joining us today, community historian, Community historian Ann Harrell is here to talk a bit about who Mary Harrell was and what promoted her to start this beautiful, sweet, wonderful museum that is now in New Smyrna. Good morning, Mary Harrell, and welcome to our seat, our table. I am so proud to be a participant this morning. Thank you for inviting me to share Absolutely. and promote the Mary S. Harrell Black Heritage Museum. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining, Anne. Please tell us about Mary. Who was she and what prompted Mary to start the Mary Harrell Black Heritage Museum? Well, Mary Harrell started her career in Eatonville at the old Hungerford High School, but moved to New Smyrna Beach in 1960. 
Her inspiration was in 1974 when Black History Week became a Black History Month. And the pastor of her church asked her to do a program on local Black history. She accepted the challenge, but found no recorded local Black history in New Smyrna Beach and very little recorded national Black history. She decided to do something about it. She decided to do a program first using local oral history. She visited the homes of the elderly citizens and recorded stories of their lives and life experiences. With this, she developed a slideshow, old-fashioned slideshow. The slideshow was so well-received and became so popular in the community that new productions were made and presented for the next four years. Her experiences and successes of the slideshow inspired her in the founding of the Black Heritage Museum. Wow, wow, wow. I remember visiting. Uh, one of the things that intrigued me is the building. Can you tell us a bit about the building um, and how that was acquired? What was it prior? I think it was a Catholic church. You're absolutely right, Barbara. It was a Catholic church and it was deeded to the Black Heritage Festival and it opened as a museum in 1999. In 1999, wow. 1999. How old was Miss Harold, Mary Harold, at this point when, when these things are happening, when the museum is coming into existence? Mary Harold restore that museum with a lot of help from the community and restore the building, I should say, with a lot of help. And from then on, it was a gravy train. Oh, wow, wow, wow. So the building, do we know about how old that building is, how old the church is? Well, as you know, the museum is housed in the 19th century restored Old Sacred Heart St. Rita building built in 1899. Wow. And like you said, it was once a place of worship for a congregation of Black Roman Catholics in the area. And today, you know that building is listed on the National Registry of Historic Places. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's a big deal. What are some of the other things that are on the land, on the property, alongside of the museum? Well, you want to go back in history, this is the place to come because we have right next to the museum, adjacent to the museum, on the same property, a heritage house. And you might call it a shotgun house. <laughs> a shotgun house with all the trimmings and all the furniture from the old days, as we called it. It is exactly how Mary had envisioned it from the day she had it located there on that property. If you come to the museum, you will definitely make a stop at the Heritage House. Wow, very nice, very nice. And I have been, um, there is also the Laughing Tree. Am I correct? Is it still there? Yes, the Laughing Tree is adjacent to the Heritage House. With the little seating area, you don't want to miss it. I would invite all of you, encourage you to come 
and we'll just sit around that heritage house and we'll do some laughing and some storytelling. <laughs> that is excellent. Um, so currently, as everyone else, we are in COVID and it's important that we uh, proceed with uh, COVID compliance. What are your hours? How have you adjusted that you are still, of course, taking in tours? How have you adjusted? What are your hours currently? Our hours are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, from 10 to 4. Okay. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, from 10 to 4. We encourage visitors to call ahead of time. Even though it's the COVID environment, we have made special preparation with our PPE equipment to make sure that the environment is safe and we only allow a small number of visitors at a time. The max is six, six visitors at a time. Okay, six visitors. And please tell us the uh, address and or your, web, your website that people can find you. Uh, www.blackheritagemuseum.org. That's, that's correct. Excellent, excellent. Anything else that you would like us to know, Anne, about uh, Miss Mary Harrell and her vision for the New Smyrna community? Well, Mary Harrell initially invited the community to donate their own historical art, uh, artifacts to the museum, emphasizing the concept of a community museum. So the community feels a part of this they have a buy-in. It is used to display a collection of artifacts to educate the citizens about African-American history and race relations in a small town like New Smyrna Beach. Information dates all the way back to the 1900. It offers a glimpse of American African-Americans prior to and including that period. The museum keeps the past alive through its exhibits, programs, guided tours. And, and just let me mention some, some of our programs. Okay. We have each year for 29 years, one of the longest running festivals in Volusia County, the Black Heritage Festival. This would have been our 30th year, of course, but we had to postpone it this year. It's a three-day event held in the first week of February, during Black History Month, of course. And it began as an outgrowth of research and study of the New Smyrna Beach community by Mary Harrell. The purpose of the festival is to gather the community together and we all get a greater awareness and appreciation for Black history and the culture. Wow. During the festival, we invite local artists, we have food, of course. We have demonstrations. And the children are always invited and the young people are always included, thanks to Shy Mars. Wow. Another one of our events that we are very proud of, of course, we do have a Kwanzaa celebration each year for the last 20th year. We have a scholarship banquet. A scholarship banquet? That's never heard of. Well, the purpose of this is to encourage our young people from the community to support museums wherever they go. Peace art, 
is another one of our youth programs by Shai Morris, who is a very, very important and creative person on our board. Excellent. We Excellent. have what we call museum programs for the very young. We are fortunate, Barbara, to be located right next door to Sea Kids Academy. Sea Kids, little preschool, three through four year olds. And we bring them to the museum for special programs. We start them early. Wow, wow. Thank you so much again, Anne. Oh my goodness, and, and perfect timing because our artist spotlight is none other than New Smyrna's local and favorite daughter, favorite community person, Shai Morris. So Anne, we wanna thank you so very much for sharing all this magnificent information about Mary Harrell and her vision as to why it was so important to preserve the African-American history of New Smyrna through the Black Heritage Museum. Once again, to learn more about the Black Heritage Museum, you can visit blackheritage.org. You can also email them to find out more about their hours, Black Heritage Museum at Gmail, and feel free to schedule a tour. Up next for our artist spotlight, and we're going to continue the history, the community happenings of New Smyrna. We're going to bring Andrew Brown on, and Andrew is going to speak with Shai Morris, who is also a product of New Smyrna and also very involved with the Black Heritage Museum and one of our local artists. Good morning, Shai. Hello, everyone. How are we doing this morning? I'm doing well, Shai. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm Thank so you all for having me. Of course. I'm so excited once I learned that you have an art education center for kids um, out in New Smyrna. Tell us about how that got started. Um, well, I went off to college in Texas and I stayed out there for about 15 years. Oh, wow. And as I was traveling, um, you know, from Texas to Florida, I realized that the community that I grew up in and loved so much and that poured so much into me, uh, it was kind of a gap in the generations. Mm. And I felt um, that I needed to move back to one, um, kind of be the person to help bridge those the gaps between the younger generation and our uh, elders. Mm -hmm. And also uh, give the kids in the community a glimpse of how I grew up. And, you know, especially with us being in this digital age, they don't really realize all the fun that you can have. Uh, and I always tell them that life existed before technology. So <laughs> most yeah. of the programs that I do is extremely old school. It keeps me back in my younger days and the kids are amazed at how much fun that they can have with just uh, like one example, when, when I was growing up, we would take our school books and cover them with brown paper bags and then, uh, you know, draw all over them. That's a great hit in, in the programs that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely remember doing that. Um, 
And I remember covering mine in newspaper and I would have to double up the newspaper because sometimes it'd be too fragile to rip and it would like rip off if you had a lot of books. Uh, for those who don't know, Shai Morris is the chief executive officer of Peace Arts. It's a community arts and education center that caters to enrichment programs that focus on mental and general health, positive pathways in education, creative safe environments for diverse populations, and intergenerational activity. What yes. does stand for? So Peace Hearts is a wonderful acronym that came to me in my sleep and it was bugging me. So I said, I have to do something with this. Ah. And it, it, stands, it stands for positive education and creative expressions. And that's where we use um, STEAM-based learning, which is science, technology, engineering, art, agriculture, and math. Mm -hmm. And we use creative um, and innovative activities to teach standard, standardized learning. So kids are learning through play, which I think is extremely important because we want to make sure that all the kids are retaining the information that they're learning and we're getting outside of workbooks. Um, and arts is always ready to serve, which is our community engagement and outreach component, where we do uh, community gardens. We do a lot of community events that are intergenerational. We do a lot of educational forums so we can attract uh, to uh, building not only youth programs to stimulate the kids, but to bring in whole families. So we're uh, help healing the entire family and not just the youth of that family. Awesome. What are some of the or what are some of the students, the kids' favorite projects that they've worked on um, year after year? Uh, well, one we did, which was very historic for our area, I submitted a proposal to do a public public art mural team, mm. and it consisted of uh, students from kindergarten into uh, eighth grade. And what we did was uh, I wrote a proposal through the Community Development Block Grant of Volusia County to do a mural project at our local community center, which is the Alonzo Bay James Community Center. Mm -hmm. And that uh, mural is 16 by 66 feet. Oh, wow. And the focus of that mural is Kwanzaa. And so I went in, after I got approved, I went in and I sketched everything out and made it like a huge coloring book. Mm -hmm. And I let the kids, not only that were a part of the public mural team, but anybody in the community. So I had kids as young as six months putting oh, their handprints up on that community mural. And I really liked that one because I was able to tie in with Education Day with the Black Heritage Museum. We got to see kids that, you know, sometimes they don't color. They're definitely not working with paint. And mm -hmm. we weren't using watercolors. We were using real exterior house paint. <laughs> oh, wow. So seeing them be excited to enjoy the process of painting a large mural like that and have it be focused around celebrating our heritage and culture. That everything that I do it has an education component of it. And um each each kid on the 
Muir Arts team had to do research on Black history, and we added um, those names onto the mural as well. And we used a lot of local uh, living legends. We lose a lot of local people that have passed on and also national, international Black history across the board. So uh, that one is still extremely inviting for people in the community. I think another one is our youth community garden where that really took off after one of our Kwanzaa celebrations. And um, we started putting fresh fruits and vegetables on the tables as decoration. Oh. And a lot of the kids, you know, I would ask them or they would come up to me and say, what is this? And one of them was an onion, but it had oh. the skin on it. And so I'm saying, wow, these kids really have no idea where what food looked like before it's processed. Mm -hmm. So starting my youth community garden and teaching kids how to grow from seed to harvest. And then once they successfully do that, then they are able to take a container home uh, and grow at their own home. That is amazing. I have a similar story. I remember um, I didn't know what a rhubarb looked like when I was really young. I, you know, you hear what a rhubarb is and you see it in stuff, but I had never seen a rhubarb. And I remember the first time I saw one, I just thought it was the ugliest looking thing. It looks like a pink celery. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know what it was. And then, you know, my mom looked at me like, uh, that's a rhubarb. Like, why don't you know that? But then she kind of realized she had never, you know, shown it to me. So that's amazing that you're able to show kids this is something that you know, but this is where it comes from. This is how it looks like. This is how you right. can it. And it definitely teaches those skills that are not necessarily taught anymore in school. Yeah, and I love it too because, you know, in the garden is so many life lessons. You know, you can go historical, like we grow sugarcane, mm. you know, and the kids get to harvest the sugarcane. During the Black Heritage Festival, I bring some sugarcane over for one of our demonstrations where Mr. Harold, who is the husband of Mary Harold, mm -hmm. does uh, cane grinding. Mm -hmm. And um, so just and, and show the connection to our ancestors and really trying to bring the community back to our connection with the earth and being a community and a village type people right. to where the garden is wide open. Like a lot of people ask me, well, it's, you have greens and okra and tomatoes and pineapples and all this stuff growing in your garden. Normally a place like this is fenced in. And I said, I'm not going to fence it in because we've been fenced in forever. You know, we should be able to have a space in the community that's open for people to come in at their own leisure and find a space of peace and serenity and look around and see how things grow. All of our produce at the garden is uh, organic. We've created our own ecosystem to where we don't have to use pesticides because we attract great bugs like bees and certain wasps and butterflies that eat the bad bugs. And so the kids get that type of lesson too, of course, with math and art and engineering. With the engineering piece, we recycled all of these gallon water bottles 
because we don't have a water source on at the garden and the space is 52 by 225 so it's huge oh, wow. and we may drip irrigation so we collect the rainwater they get the buckets they put it into the top of the cutout gallon bucket and then we have a funnel with a a nylon a rope that comes down that drips directly onto the plant so you know we're not wasting water we're using what God gave us to replenish and just getting the kids to think creatively about their environment and connect to it a little bit better than what we're doing. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned the um, the Harold Museum. What's your relationship with the Mary Harold Museum? Well, I am fourth generation to New Smyrna. So my family has always been around New Smyrna. And my grandmother and my great-grandmother were extremely active in the community when I was just a young tiny tot. So they would bring me around to all of the different events mm -hmm. because most of the time they would be hosting them, but they were also supporting other people that were doing great things in the community. And we went over to, um, when I got a little bit older and they started the Black Heritage Festival, I was so amazed by it because I had never heard of any celebrating something that large about our culture so I definitely want to be a part of it and uh, uh, black history was a definite in my household so uh, once I went to college and I started coming back and forth I realized that the festival wasn't to me like it was when I was growing up, like the numbers, I didn't see a lot of the kids that were coming to the festivals. I mean, it used to be like buses and buses of kids coming. Mm -hmm. And so I went and talked to Mr. Harrell and I was asking him, uh, you know, what happened? He said, you know, we just lost connection with Volusia County Schools. Gotcha. And at this time, I think that I was on the board for maybe two years and we had education day and we were just at that time servicing uh, maybe 30 kids from the preschool, the two preschools, Sea um, Kids Academy that Miss Harold uh, mentioned, and also uh, Chisholm Head Start. And so I asked him because I knew at that time we were kind of short on our volunteers. And once you start introducing kids, you need to make sure that you have a lot of volunteers. <laughs> And so he said, yes, I would love for you to reconnect us back with Volusia County Schools. So I said, well, we'll just start with one school. At that time, I was already doing um, art and wellness programs through Peace Arts with Chisholm Elementary. And so I went and talked to the principal and the leadership there, and they welcomed uh, Mr. Harold to come in and talk about bringing Chisholm over to uh, Education Day and everybody was excited about it we went from having 30 kids to like 150 oh, <laughs> within the next within the next year and so i was just so happy because the museum trusted me and my education background i have a degree in early childhood education to mm. organize all of it and create all of these different centers for all of these kids to rotate to and um yeah, I was pretty sad about this year not being able to uh, host every Education Day, but we'll be back next year, so I'm excited about that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, as things are opening up, we're noticing that everyone is gearing up and getting ready for 
the opportunities they missed in 2020, but with the right. of it and bringing back programming like we've never seen before. Shy, how can people support you? How can we follow you on social media? Give us your your address. How can how can our listeners support you in New Smyrna? Well, my Facebook page, my personal page is Shy Rika Morris. That's S H Y R I A K A. M-O-R-R-I-S. I don't know if anybody would be able to get on that because I have 5,000 friends. <laughs> so I had to create a public figure page, which is I am Shy Morris. And yeah. that's also on Facebook. It's on Instagram and also Twitter. I am Shy Morris. Also, if you can get on to my personal page, I have a fan page, which is uh, the acronym PEACE, uh, all in caps, P dot E dot A dot C dot E. And you can go on there and see all the different programs that we've had in the previous years, all the things that we have coming up. And uh, you can go on my website, which is under construction, so don't judge me. But, hey, the kids are helping me do it, so we just put it out there. And that's another it, it, part of education, getting them to learn how to make a website. Exactly. And so, you know, everybody's saying, well, you should have it already put together. It doesn't look professional. I said, well, the kids are navigating through it. So to me, they're learning in the process that they're going through to get to the point to where we can have a final product is more important to me than the perception of how it looks to the community. Uh, you know, people that are Absolutely. engaging and a lot of people that, um, come to the website or that know me, they know that everything that I do is is kid-based. So it's going to take time to get it where we need it to go. But they're learning. Um, so that website is www.welovepeacearts.net. Wonderful, Shy. Thank you so much. This was Shy Morris of Peace Arts in New Smyrna Beach. You're yes. listening to Our Seat, Our Table. You can listen to us Friday mornings at WPRK.org, 91.5 on your radio shortwave. And you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Barbara, who do we have coming up next? We have Vivian Gary. Good morning, Vivian Gary. Welcome to our seat, our table. Good morning, and thank you for having me today. This is awesome. You know, uh, congratulations you. on your number nine podcast. <laughs> Thank you so very much. We are just tickled. We are tickled that we can continue to bring excellent programming. You all heard from our cultural partners, our community, historic partners in New Smyrna. And now, Vivian, you are doing such great work caring for caregivers. I think more than anything um, in this, what we have learned uh, in 2020 during the pandemic, caring for ourselves was very important. But also we know that caring for uh, our, our parents, uh, the elders, but who is caring for the people who are caring for their parents. And this is where you come in, Vivian. Please tell us more about your program Caring for caregivers, is that it? It's um, caring for family caregivers. Caring and for it, family caregivers, thank you. Yes, it came about because um, at 
age 40, um, I found myself as a family caregiver for my mom. She had a a stroke in Washington, D.C., which is where I was from, Um, but I've lived in Orlando for over 30 years now. Um, But I found myself in this situation being the middle child, only girl, and um, my brothers kind of looked to me and my mother looked to me to um, help her through this phase. Uh, Originally, we tried her staying in her own home in Maryland, and it became evident that that wasn't going to be the best course of action. So um, she ended up moving in with me here in Orlando. And I had to do everything from finding her new doctors to getting her medical equipment. Um, Also had to go through um, finding social life for her. Um, making sure we had 24-hour care because her stroke left her with situations that she couldn't handle on her own. And um, I found it very difficult to piece all this stuff together. And I also found that there was no one place where I could go to find information and resources. So you know what we do when we're resourceful. Yes. We create our own, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> so as I as I gained information and got a little bit older, more of my peer group ended up in the same situation where there was uh, maybe something suddenly that happened that made them a family caregiver for a spouse or for a brother or sister or for an aging parent. And they saw what I had gone through, and they started asking me questions. So where do you get this, and how did you find that? And so Caring for Family Caregivers came about through me wanting to share that information and make this road easier for other people who are coming behind me. Actually, your own experience, what you had been through, seeing the lack of, you were able to come up with a program once again, you were able to create to fill a void, um, especially in our community. With the 2020 pandemic, which is still here with us, how, again, has your program, Caring for Family Caregivers, how have your program been able to pivot in this very, very sensitive space around this very sensitive issue? So here's one good thing. Um, as a family caregiver, you can't always get away. You can't always leave to go to a support group meeting. So when I started this in 2015, I made my support group a Saturday morning phone call. So on the third Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. from 9 to 10, we all get on the call. Um, As the support group is, uh, 800 number. So there's people who call in from around the country to be a part of it. So once we're in this pandemic situation, for us, it's business as usual because it's the platform we were already using. We were already working that way. And it's kind of like um, the rest of the world got a little glimpse as to what life is as a family caregiver with the lockdown. <laughs> You know, everybody got to see kind of what we go through all the time. 
Wow, that's very interesting. That is a very interesting point. So it's almost as to say the caregivers were already exp already experiencing a lot of these types of restrictions in their yeah. very own ways because of having to uh, stay close to the home to take care of a parent or in certain cases, parents. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's so. a very interesting point. Yeah, in a lot of cases, um, I was shopping online. I've been shopping online for like six, ten years because we want to buy adult diapers in bulk. So Correct. there's a, a company called Elder Depot, and I go to elderdepot.com, and that, the cases come to the house. So I don't have to worry about running out. I don't have to run to Walgreens 24 hours. Right. You know, so, and we were doing prescriptions by mail and, you know, so a lot of the things that people are doing regularly now as family caregivers, I had encouraged my community to take part in prior to this. Um, and food delivery is the same way because we were testing out different grocery systems before any of this went down just to be able to give each other best practices and to save some time and take some of the stress and worry off of us because we've got so many other things to do with a household where you're making a lot of decisions uh, to sustain the life of everybody in the household. Okay. Okay. Wow. So in addition, um, I do the support group call, um, and I also do some classes like a Caregiver 101 where people can learn some of the basics and ask their questions. I also do some classes on changing family dynamics and um, kind of how you have to change your mindset because a parent and a child do not continue in the parent and child relationship. It needs to evolve to be a partnership. There has to be a new level of trust that's established. And and to just change your mind about the situation, I have some of these little helpful things. So now instead of doing those in person, we do those online. Um, I've also been able to talk to different workplaces to enhance their work-life balance series by telling them about um, what caregivers look like in their workforce and um, what caregiver concerns are. Um, I went ahead and got my certification to be a certified caregiver consultant and a certified caregiver educator so wow. that I, I'm not just talking from my own experience, but my own experience plus a little extra education to be able wow. to help more people. Wow, Vivian, what, what a much, much needed service educational-wise, provision-wise, um, how can one support you? How do they reach out and find out more information about your organization? Give us some uh, contact information, Vivian. All right. So if you are a Facebook user, you will find me at Caring for Family Caregivers on Facebook. Um, if you are a middle-of-the-night researcher, like I know I was, um, my website will be quite useful for you. The web address is www.familycaregiver.org. 
caregiversnow.com. Um, I have both national and local resources for um, condition-specific organizations, so it's kind of one-stop shopping. And there's also national and local caregiver support websites that are all connected on my resources page. I also have recorded a lot of the um, caregiver support group calls on different topics. So I have like a little library. You can look up specific situations and go back and listen to the recordings um, from there. And I also do a little email every week, just one. It's called a Tuesday tip. And um, if you would like to be part of that mailing list, you can either hit the contact us box on the website or reach out to me by email at familycaregiversnow at gmail.com. Also, if you have any pressing issues or something that you're trying to work through and you need somebody to bounce it off of or you're kind of at a dead end and you need more um, suggestions, I will do a 30-minute free consultation um, for any pressing problem. So if you reach out to me by email or the contact us on the website, I will be sure to get back to you and um, give you as much help as I can. Wow. Vivian Gary. That's Vivian Gary with Caring for Family Caregivers. Vivian, I cannot thank you enough. I also There's want also to... a phone number, Barbara. I totally Absolutely. forgot. Go ahead. <laughs> it's 407 504 0868-407-504-0868. We want to thank you, Vivian, for having the foresight in which to come up with a an organization such as Caring for, uh, Caring for Family Caregivers and being in front of the curve and just having the, uh, the wherewithal to then expand yourself in becoming more of a um, educational resource for those who need your service. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to our seat, our table leadership lounge. We continue to bring you our communities, leaders, ambassadors, historians, influencers, uh, black businesses as to how we are guiding and how we are facilitating progress in our own communities. Up next, we have with us LaVonda Wilder with the Eatonville Chamber of Commerce. LaVonda? Hi, Barbara. Thanks for having me. Today, we will be speaking to Alewe Seye Thomas. I believe I said that right. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And he would prefer to be called OT, which is something we can all say. <laughs> and yeah, I know it. Saw the name and got excited to even try to play around with pronouncing it. And we have Mr. OT of OT Perspectives. How long have you been in business, Mr. OT? Hello. Um, I've been in business for about four or five years now. 
Um, going back to the to the name, you you were very close. Um, I'll give you at least um uh eighty five percent on the name. <laughs> uh, let me say it one time so you can try it again. It's Oluwasei. Oluwasei. All right, that's about ninety five percent. I know I'm about ninety eight right there. <laughs> ninety five. <laughs> okay. Um, what type of business do you have for our listeners that are unfamiliar with your business? Yeah, definitely. Um, I do video production. Um, most people generally will call me a videographer. Um, I do videos ranging from wedding videos, um, commercial videos. Um, usually targeted more towards small businesses because I love to you know be part of that process. I, as mentioned, I did weddings and um occasionally also do music videos. Um, most so I'm really really as far as the video production goes really heavy wedding videos and commercial videos how did you find yourself in this industry yeah that's always an interesting question because um for me it was definitely a journey um being behind the camera was the last you know step of the journey and it's the one that stuck but prior to that i tried everything in front of the camera so i, was, I always I wanted to be in the spotlight so before puberty, when my voice was still really, you know, soft and nice, I thought I could be a singer. But and then things changed, and you know that that wasn't the that wasn't the route for me. So singing was the first, you know, the route I tried to take. And then I later tried to get on um so a kids back home in Nigeria. There was a there was a kids um TV show. I tried to be on the TV show as an actor, whatever role I fit in. Just it was most acting. Did it skits? I tried to get on that. Um, but the time trying getting into acting was not a thing because I couldn't break character. I couldn't act to be, you know, who I'm not. So acting kind of, you know, fell through. So there was tried singing, didn't work out, tried acting, didn't work out. So finally got into journalism and wanted to be a newscaster. And um, that was before I moved to the United States. So I moved to the United States when I was on 15. That was back in 2010. So that was the, that's where I was before I moved. I wanted to be a newscaster. I wanted to report the news, but moving from Nigeria to the United States, um, there was a huge barrier there, given my accent. So going into high school, you know, the accent was a huge thing and everyone would laugh, everyone would, um, would just, you know, make fun of it. And then then I realized that I'm not going to go read the news when everyone's going to be laughing at my accent, you know? <laughs> so that kind of like fell through. So that's when I started to explore behind the scenes because everything in front of the, um, the scene wasn't really working out. So I started to explore behind the scenes, and that's when I fell in love with the with the camera. You know, played with it some more. Played, um, tried editing, tried you know, filming, and then filming. You know, took the, uh, you know, ended up you know prevailing, ended up winning. So that's that's pretty much how I got into video production from trying entertainment in the um, in front of the scene, and then later finding myself behind the scene, older than the camera. So it was a journey, and. I'm really proud of it and happy about how it ended. So do you still feel the same passion for being behind the scenes as you believed that one time you would feel from being in front of the camera? Because as a newscaster, you would definitely be doing a lot more talking and people would get to hear your beautiful voice. But behind <laughs> the scenes, you don't really get to speak or, or say anything that people will get to know the real person, the real OT. It's uh, yeah. I mean, as I got to to know myself better, um, I, I'm happy I ended up behind the scenes for sure. Because again, this all everything in front of the scene was prior to me being it was before the age 18. You know, I was still getting to know myself, and now that I 
feel like I know myself enough. I think being behind the scene was definitely, you know, it's definitely the route that that um that I'm most happy with. I still enjoy um, things um, in front of the camera from the from the outside. <laughs> still love music very much. Still love films very much. You know, still very into the news, watching it, watching people that do it do their thing. But I'm very very comfortable behind the scene. What's your favorite thing to do or a scene when you're filming a video? What What's your favorite scene to set up? Um. Wow. Um, whichever one I consider to be the most challenging, because um, let me um, going back to video. Um, my specialty is you know, lighting. You know, deciding what it looks like and what what it feels like. What people when people see it, the lighting and see the camera movement. What do they get from it? That's that's my specialty. So I guess whenever I feel challenged to light this this scene, you know, when I feel challenged to make this look a specific way, for example, for businesses, if someone was to show me, was to come to me about, hey, um, I want to, you know, highlight my product and they talk about the location and let's say it's on the beach, you know, that's a little bit challenging because you don't really control much there. So just just going into that, knowing that, okay, it's about to work my my mind and making this product look really good on sand, look good behind the water and the sun, you know. Stuff like that is what gets me going. So for every shoot, it's different. At a wedding, there's not much control because, you know, the day has a strict timeline. I can't really move or move, put lights anywhere. So then I'm just moving the camera. It's still the same idea of like me controlling on my hand. So anything that challenges me is what I really, really, really enjoy doing. That's awesome. I know that when you're doing a video or, or shooting a wedding, you like to meet the customer or client first so that you can tell a story. What right. do you seek to find, you know, find out before shooting the video from the client? Definitely. Um, the first thing I like to know is how they met, because that's 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 huge. How, how they met, um, how, how long they've been together. Uh, that usually helps me know them better because um, I like to know them individually, of course, but getting to know their story together gives me a good start. Then that way I get to pick, oh, you know, sometimes it's just jokes here and there about, oh, how did you get to deal with that? You know, very, very um, specific jokes. And that way I start to bring that personality individually while I get to know them as a person um, and not as, as individuals. Um, another way I get to do that, connect to them is via music. So usually for my weddings, I give the couples the option to pick the music that goes in their wedding, because at the end of the day, if you don't like the music, you don't like the video, you don't like the work because the music plays right behind it. So when I get to, you know, pick their brains, sometimes you, they get to go back and forth about like what music they would want. And then you start to get a little bit of personality there too. So um, that's that's fun. So yeah, definitely knowing how they met and what kind of music they envision in their videos, how I get to connect to that more. I can I can hear the passion in your voice when I'm listening to you, and I honestly believe that you enjoy what you're doing. And, and definitely, if you enjoy what you're doing, we've always been told that it's not work. What is your favorite part? My favorite part. My favorite part. Huh. Recently, I would say it shifts, but recently I would say it's hearing back from, you know, the client, whether it's a commercial for a small business, whether it's a couple that I just captured and delivered their wedding, whether it's an artist who I just, you know, finished a music video, it's hearing back from them. Um, and it's not necessarily like this, um, not necessarily for myself, it's just knowing that I did something that, um, that um, benefits them. Because um, with time, I've learned that if I go into a project 
or in a music video commercial shoot, you know, trying to help them help the the client, the person, you know, to the next level. It's more, more fun because when they get back to me and they say, hey, the video actually got me 20,000 more engagements than I would have before the video. Hey, um, I love my wedding video. Hey, the music video, you know, put me on the spot. That is my favorite part, knowing that I actually, you know, did something. Because it's one thing to, you know, to take money from the client and then create a video and just deliver it. And it's one thing to know that, hey, this actually helped them out. So I would say that's my favorite part. That's at least that's something I enjoy knowing now. Awesome. Well, I have one more question for you and then we'll start wrapping it up. If you had to pick the perfect customer or client or person that you were going to photograph, what, what would that look like to you? The perfect person I was going to, whom? The perfect, perfect, perfect. Wow. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> that's an interesting one. I would say, um, I've always, um, when it comes to raw role models, when, it, um, in this video, film, video production, the bigger scale, I definitely enjoy, um, I've always enjoyed, um, Tyler Perry's work. I've always, you know, wanted to be around, you know, some of that, of that drive, someone of that achievement achievement level so i would say an opportunity to you know you know work with capture or just be in the presence of you know tyler perry would be fulfilling for me for sure so that would be the person awesome if, if you had to give a, a youth someone younger than you that wants to get in the industry what advice would you give to them um, the first advice I would definitely give them is it's a legitimate business because, <laughs> you know, sometimes we grow up around our parents wanting us to be more than just videographers, more than just singers, more than just, you know, uh, again, my parents are very, 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 very loving and very supportive. But I know it's not always been like that for everyone, especially, especially being African, you know, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, you have to be a, a you know, an engineer or something. But I just want I just want I just want people to understand that. Of videography photography is a legitimate business you can scale it to however however big you want it to be you can pay personally you can enjoy that business and then there's all all the effort into it that's gonna enjoy it. and you know sometimes you can't do it by yourself so you might need a team at some point but it is legitimate um it could be fun and it could you know provide very very good living you could end up making as much as a doctor, depending on how much, you know, you put into it. Oh, I believe it. And, and when you <laughs> mention that makes me think about one of my friends that was in, in the industry. She's an artist now and her parents were not happy about her choice to leave the field that she was in. How did your parents feel about you becoming a photographer, a videographer? Um, they were, Honestly, initially, I did not think they were going to be welcome into it at all because um, I moved my parents. My family is currently in um, Massachusetts and um, I went to high school there. I did um, sophomore through senior year there and um, I was going to I, I moved here to Florida for school. And I remember like, you know, sleepless nights trying to explain to them how I want to go to Florida for school for filmmaking. And it was just such a hard decision to make. And one day, like I just said, hey, um, there's a school in Florida I would love to go to because they're. You know, they focus on video production and it was an instant. Yes, there was no thinking. There was no question about it whatsoever. I didn't have to convince them. So the support level that I expected it to be at, like, you know, 20 percent, it was 110 percent. So they were they were very supporting. Uh, so I'm very, very, very happy about that. 
And um, well, I've heard I've heard from other people where it wasn't the same story. And um, my mom was a little bit more supporting, but you know, my dad warmed up to it. But they were very supportive. Well, that's awesome because we have to have the support of our parents in order to do anything. We need their support, and sometimes they are a little hesitant. But it's awesome when we can say that our parents support anything that we do. It's an awesome venture. Do you have anything that you'd like to say to our listeners and please add your contact information? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I'll just go ahead and give my contact information. I would love to time, um, you know, to connect with all the listeners at some point, I could, if I could be of help in any way. Um, so my Instagram account is DP underscore OT. That would, um, that Instagram account contains, you know, almost all my work. I have a specific Instagram account for wedding work which is weddings underscore OT. So DP underscore OT for my general work and weddings underscore OT for my wedding work. Uh, my Facebook is OT Perspectives. And uh, as far as the website goes, um, you can both links get you to the same website. You can go to my full name, oluwasheithomas.com, or you can go to otperspectives.com. Both links go to the same website. Um, phone number is 407. 337-3754. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And we look forward to looking in looking at everything that you have on social media. And you have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Once again, you are listening to Our Seat, Our Table, The Leadership Lounge, and where we continue to bring you the best in our community, our community leaders, our community builders. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us. We spoke with Ann Harrell, who is the community historian with the Mary Harrell Black Museum in New Smyrna. We heard from Sharika Morris, who is also a board member with the Mary Harrell Black Museum and a local artist, Peace Arts. Then we also heard from Vivian Gary, who is the founder, organizer, operator of Caring for Family Caregivers. And then we also heard from OT Perspectives, who is also a videographer in helping to curate the African-American stories by video. We want to thank you all so much once again for joining our seat, our table every Friday. As Andrew Brown stated, you can listen to us streaming on WPRK.org, Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. Please make sure you join us next week for our 10th episode, which will be a very, very special edition. We also want to continue to wish every woman um, a, a happy Women's Month and continue doing the work that you've been doing. My name is Barbara Chandler, and I look forward to seeing you again next week.